Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you can join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that is listed. For the first few months of the year, we're looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. All excerpts are from the Gospel of Luke. And let me just take a moment, too, just to let you know about a special podcast episode called Puzzle Pieces that we just recently put together. So in it, I do a little deep dive into the Gospels, who wrote them, when were they written, why were they written, and how do they tell us the whole story of Jesus? All four Gospels together give us the the big picture. They really are like puzzle pieces in a way, each bringing similar and yet very different sides to the story of Jesus. So check it out if you have some time. Again, it's called puzzle pieces. All right, so we dove into four of Jesus' miracles in January, and as we turn the page into February, uh, we're getting a new segment called Parables. Now, Jesus was many things. He was a healer, a teacher, a leader, but one thing he was great at that we don't always draw enough attention to is his ability to tell a story. Jesus was a fantastic storyteller. People came from all over to listen to him teach and share some of these short stories that we call parables. Now, What separates one of Jesus' parables from someone like, say, you know, Aesop's fables? What's the separation there? I think one of the mistakes people make with parables is they assume that Jesus has lessons in these parables that aren't just spiritual, but they're also ethical in nature, that they're they're all kind of like the same thing, but but they're actually different. Fables and, and parables are not the same. So for one, fables employ animals and plants and mythological creatures or forces of nature, whereas a parable uses people and Instead, fables are almost exclusively moral in character, and the point is to teach a valuable lesson. But parables, in the biblical sense, since we're talking about Christ's stories, they're always spiritual and at times carry a moral or ethical lesson along with it. Fables are standalone moral stories based in fiction. Parables nearly always accompany a teaching or a series of teachings as a way to illustrate you know, how one should apply those teachings or what consequences await to the person who fails to apply them. So Jesus' parables, well, even they were life-changing, right, for the people who understood those lessons. But not everybody understood them, of course. Sometimes they were directed for only a certain group of people, like the Pharisees or the disciples, and at other times, you know, they were for the masses. Regardless, though, parables are stories which have the ability to pro- profoundly change us. The first parable we're going to look at is found in Luke chapter 11. And this is the story that is the result of a question that Jesus' disciples have on prayer. They want to know how to pray. You know, Jewish teachers in that time period, they taught their followers specific prayers to recite, which identified them as belonging to their particular group. And that's why the disciples want to know how to pray. They want to know what kind of prayer sets apart a follower of Jesus. Most people, they tend to know what prayer is, but they're not very confident in their ability to pray. You ever been asked to pray in front of other folks? Like, how, how many of you guys actually really enjoyed that? 
Yeah, not, not many, right? I mean, prayer really intimidates us. And, and while there's different reasons as to why most of us don't want to pray in front of other people, I think the biggest reason is we're just worried we won't sound spiritual enough in our prayers. Like we're worried that we might say the wrong thing or maybe forget to say the right thing, you know? Uh, maybe we're not so confident that we're praying the right way. Or it could be that we just don't like saying and doing things in front of people in public, right? <laughs> of course. Let's dig a little deeper, though. Could it be that our intimidation for praying in front of other people stems from a few incorrect ideas that we have about prayer? You know, first of all, there isn't any such thing as a spiritual prayer. Like Jesus actually tells his followers not to pray like the religious leaders who fill their prayers with great spiritual jargon just to sound holy. I think another incorrect idea we have about prayer is that our prayers, uh, they're, they're, they're too small, or they're too big, even, for God. Like, I had a college student years ago. He told me the reason that he you know, struggled for, for, to, to pray was that each time he prayed, it felt as if it was a, a bother to God. Like, a fact that stemmed from his view of asking things from others. He never asked anything from anybody because he didn't want to be a bother to them. But it also stemmed from something else that he told me, and, and I've, I've never forgotten what he said. In fact, this, maybe some of you can relate. He said this, if you think about the world and its problems and all the people who really need God's help, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, like, like my life is pretty good when you stack it up against the rest of the world. It's like, why would God really want to hear from me? I, 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 I can relate to that. Can you, can you do that too? I mean, there's a lot of folks in this world, right? And perhaps that's your line of thinking. If it is, I, I get that. But there's one more incorrect idea that I want to touch on for a minute too. And it's this idea that God has to answer our prayers and give us whatever we, we want simply because we, we, we asked for it. It's almost like we treat God as a genie giving us three wishes without that dreaded, you can't wish for more wishes clause, right? You know, God's not a genie. Uh, he's not a spiritual Santa Claus, but you should have a healthy, active prayer life. So today I want to teach you all about prayer and, and not so much about how to pray, but I want to teach you really uh, about, you know, what, what prayer is. And it's really simple. Like we overcomplicate it. You know, prayer is just communicating with God. And as long as you're speaking with him, you're praying. And it doesn't matter if you use big spiritual terms with grandiose quotes, or if you simply utter whatever's on your heart, man, be yourself, communicate with the Lord, make it simple. Now, I do want to go a little bit deeper than just, you know, hey, a prayer is a simple part. I, I, I want to go a little bit further with you, okay? I do want you to understand the importance of persistent prayer and how this persistent prayer stems from boldness, and that boldness, in turn, produces a strong relationship with God. So I want to take you to Luke chapter 11, all right? So Luke chapter 11, verse number 1. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Remember what I said earlier, right? That Jewish teachers are instructing their followers how to pray, and, and, and it identified them with a particular group. So you're going to see that right here in the background of the story with this big ask from the disciples. We're going to come back to what is called the Lord's Prayer here at the very end of our time together today. So here's, here's verse number two. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Amen. Check out verse number five. Then teaching them more. Again, parables illustrate teachings, right? 
he uses this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, well, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked. My family's asleep. Like, I can't help you. But I tell you, he won't do it for friendship's sake. If you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your, what? Shameless persistence. How many of you guys would answer your door in the middle of the night, okay, for a neighbor who wants bread, of all things? Not for himself either, right? But for his guest. Uh, I I mean, I I wouldn't do it either. But in the first century of Israel, though, like hospitality, extremely important. The sole reason the man gets up and gives his neighbor bread is so dishonor and shame won't come to him for not being hospitable towards his neighbor's guest. So like if shame hits you, you cannot get rid of it. You can't scrub it off. It affects you for generations. It's a pretty powerful motivator in society back then. So he says he and his family, they're all in bed asleep. Most families lived in a single room. <laughs> so if you have kids and you've all slept together in the same room, like a hotel or a family member's house, you know, when you're visiting, you know the importance of like stealth mode, okay? Like one wrong move, one wrong sound, and there's one kid who's going to sit up and then another kid and another, and uh, now everybody's up and no one go back to sleep. So uh, that alone is enough for me to just say, <laughs> yeah, Joe, forget it, bro. I ain't doing it. Now, there's a little more to this story, right? Especially, you know, with, with, the, with the, some obstacles here. People in the first century only made bread for about a day or so. You didn't want to have a, a lot of leftovers because there was no way to preserve them. So it's possible the man in the story not only has to use ninja-like reflexes to avoid waking the kids, but he may have to knead the dough and bake the bread too because he may not have any to give this guy. When I read the story, man, I always picture <laughs> the man is this, this grumpy dude who begrudgingly does what's required of him, not because he cares for his neighbor's guests, but because he doesn't want to ruin his reputation. He's doing it all out of obligation because it's a cultural rule. He can't let his name get ruined over this neighbor's guest. So, so what's the point then about, about the story? What's Jesus trying to illustrate here with this parable? Well, he's trying to tell the story as a contrast to how a friend might treat you as opposed to how God will treat you when you come to him. You know, God is not a grumpy old man who begrudgingly answers prayers because he has some sort of reputational thing on the line or he's obligated to do it. It's not something he does out of obligation. It's something that that God does because he loves you. He, He desires to have a relationship with you, okay? The neighbor knew the man in the story. Think about this. It's his relationship with the man which gave boldness to ask for bread in the middle of the night. It's his relationship with the man which also gave him the persistence in his request. Like he knew he wouldn't be turned down, much like you and I would not refuse to you know, allow close friends or a family to borrow tools or our truck or whatever it is they might need. We wouldn't let strangers use those things for sure, but we would let people that we know and trust and have relationship with use them. And this is why Jesus can say in the next couple of verses that if we approach God and we ask him for something, we'll receive it. Look at what he says in verse number nine. He says, and so I tell you, keep asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door 
will be opened. People tend to read this passage and they kind of conclude, well, I can ask God for anything I want and I'll get it and it's great. However, it comes on the heels of the parable we just read, right? And that means there's a really important condition that we cannot forget. You need a relationship with God. When we're in a relationship with God, we can ask for things. We can be persistent. We can be bold in our prayers. We can expect God to not only hear them, but to answer them because of a relationship that we have. Relationship produces boldness. Hebrews 4.16 says we can boldly approach God's throne and receive what we need. So we're not bothering God when you pray. You have a relationship with God, you can boldly approach the throne. You're not some random face in a large crowd that God doesn't have time for. Like you're someone who matters to Him. You're someone He takes an interest in. You can be bold about your prayers. You can be persistent and you can have confidence that God hears you and that you'll receive what you need. So one important note though, because uh, this ABC of praying, ask, seek, knock, it's not access to a blank check to get whatever you want, okay? Rather, there are promises indicating that God has our spiritual welfare in mind. So do you need peace? Man, it's yours. Do you need joy? It's yours too. Do you need forgiveness? Man, God has it for you. Why? Because God is a good father and he gives us good Thanks. Look at Luke uh, 11, verse number 11. You fathers, he continues, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Imagine your kids ask you for lunch money, and instead of giving them lunch money, you know, you gave them a copperhead, <laughs> okay? Show and tell. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't do that. That's crazy. Like, Jesus' point is even fathers give their sons good gifts, and even they take care of their kids' needs. So how much more than will our God give us what we need? We, we read in, in, throughout Scripture that God is good. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. Psalm 100, the Lord is good and His loving kindness lasts forever. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the what? For the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Do you realize how important that verse right there is? It's often misunderstood and taken out of context because people tend to say, you know, that God causes all things to work for the good for us, you know, like for everybody, which is actually not true. I'm going to be real with you here today. If you're not part of God's family, that's not a promise for you. The text is really clear that God works all things out for the good of those who are called, for those who are part of His family, because they have what? They have relationship with Him. And that is a huge promise. No matter what your situation is today, no matter what you've been dealing with in your valley moment, if you're following Jesus, if there's a relationship with God, there's a promise for you that everything's going to work out for the good because you serve a good father who gives you good things, who happens to know what you need even before you ask for it. Your heavenly father sees every detail. He has incredible foresight. He knows everything. He's a perfect and good father who gives good gifts. And you can trust him to do what's best for you and what's good for you. You can boldly and persistently approach him in your prayers because of that relationship that God has with you. 
So what does this persistent prayer then look like? Okay, so we have a relationship with God. Great. We, we know God wants to give us good things. Awesome. And because of that relationship, it, it all kind of comes together. He cares for us. We get that part, Pastor. So awesome. The relationship produces boldness. We can boldly approach the Lord. But what does this persistent prayer resemble? What does it look like? What do I do? Well, Jesus gives the model for how to pray at the start of the passage. The Lord's Prayer is not exactly something you just repeat out of necessity. You can, you know, it's fine to pray that, but you don't have to. It's not really there for that. It's actually a model prayer. He uses to teach his disciples how to boldly pray. When you pray boldly, you start off by acknowledging who God is. He's our father, verse number two, right? What do fathers do? They provide and protect and guide their families while acting as the authority figure in their home. So what do we do with the Lord, man? Well, well we welcome his protection and his authority and his guidance in our lives because he is our father. Now notice that Jesus also prays for God's kingdom to come soon. It's more than just longing for eternity and being present in God's kingdom. His, his intent here is to point to the physical coming of God's kingdom when, yes, he reigns forever. But, but really, here's what we're getting at. All the wrongs are made right. It's a time when justice prevails and sickness and sin are no more. It's the, it's the culmination of everything you look forward to as a follower of Jesus. So that as we pray, we want to keep in mind that there's a day coming when everything will be exactly how God intended it. And then we address needs. That's verse number three. Remember, we asked you know, boldly, we're asking with confidence, trusting God's going to meet the needs that we have in our lives. Now, God doesn't always meet those needs in our timeline, okay? Sometimes it takes longer than we would like. Sometimes those needs are met differently than how we, we thought of with different sources. Sometimes um, he says no. What we think is a need, well, God may not view as a need. And that can be tough. Uh, but you can be sure of this, that whatever you need, God can, and I believe he will, meet that need. Verse number four, we shift the prayer again to forgiveness. Why? Well, because we, we can't live healthy lives if we're hurt, if we're angry, if we're bitter, you know, that, that, that's destructive. Our forgiveness from God is directly linked to the forgiveness we offer other people. So if you can't bring yourself to forgive others, uh, you, you don't really have a complete understanding then of what grace is truly about. Just because you forgive doesn't mean the pain instantly goes away either, though. So as we well ask God to heal you from the hurt and the pain and the brokenness that you're experiencing so that over time you're restored and don't have bitterness taking root in your life. And the last mention that he has in verse 5 is in regard to temptation. James 1, 13 and 15 tells us that God doesn't tempt anybody. So why does Jesus make mention of this? Well, it's a request for spiritual protection. The idea is we're asking God to keep temptation from, from, from getting us, you know, from, to keep us from succumbing to it. If God is going to keep us from giving in to temptation, our prayer should be that the Holy Spirit helps us to depend on God. Ask God to help you with each step that you take when temptation strikes. Hey, Lord, uh, keep me from going further down that path. Keep me from that person, that situation, that place that could take me down a road that I don't want to go. Keep me from, 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 that, from that person, that event, wherever it is. Uh, that's what we're praying. The Lord's Prayer is a model. It, it's an example of how to boldly pray. But it's also the kind of prayer which identifies you with Jesus. So again, remember, Jewish teachers taught their students, their disciples, prayers that were somewhat unique to their particular group. 
Who's, who's our group? What's the body of Christ? The Lord's Prayer is a bold prayer, which is really a community prayer. It's a community prayer because you know, it, it envisions the body of Christ walking with the Lord together, depending on Him for everything, from, from food to forgiveness. So, so what if then we modeled that prayer? Like, what if we prayed boldly? What if we prayed with confidence, trusting that God will give us good things, that He wants what's best for us? What if we remembered when we pray, we're not actually praying alone, that we're praying as part of a global community, the body of Christ. Man, when you realize that, it changes things. It, it not only changes how you pray, but it changes us. And here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to do this here, here, here today. Take some time when I'm, when I'm finished. Take some time to really pray to the Lord. Like work through the Lord's Prayer if you need to do that. Pray boldly. Pray per persistently. Don't give up. Don't do it half-heartedly. Go all in in your prayers to the Lord. But first, though, you need to make sure that you have a relationship with God for these bold prayers to really mean something. So before we go, I, I want to extend an invitation to those of you who are watching and listening right now that you'd say, Pastor, I need Jesus today. I, I, just, I need to say yes to what he offers. And he offers you a, a new start, a life that might not be better this side of heaven, but certainly is the life that God designed for you. Let's get our relationship with God on the right track. And then those bold and persistent prayers, boy, they can really start to flow after that. So that's you. You say, Pastor, I, I need Jesus today. I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to follow along in your own words. I'm going to model it, but you follow along in your own words and pray with me. So, Lord, thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. God, for those who say, Pastor, I, I need Jesus today. I, I, I don't have that relationship you're talking about. I need that. I want that. And so we're going to start by asking Christ to forgive us. So we're going to say, Lord, forgive me for the sin that I've done. God, forgive me and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I know I've done things I'm not proud of, God, that I know you're not proud of of that violate your standards. Lord, will you be my savior? Will you forgive me of this sin? Give me a new start, man. Give me a fresh new life in you. And from this day forward, I'm not going to do my own thing anymore. I'm going to make you Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to obey you. I'm not calling the shots. You lead me. You guide me. You direct me. My life, God, is going to belong to you. I've done it my way. It hasn't worked out. I'm done with that. I'm going to follow after you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being Lord of my life. Lord Jesus, I'm looking forward to spending not just eternity with you, but each day in this new life you want to bring. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.